How about that? You take your seats this morning. And put your hands together for this team. Outstanding this morning. <laughs> Took us to church. You know. felt, like I, I felt like I went to sleep and woke up in T.D. Jakes' congregation this morning. You know, it's just a little bit of gospel. It's good. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Honestly, I, I just... Every week at the moment I come to church, I'm surprised. I'm not sure why I'm surprised. Get to the point where like, it shouldn't be surprising to be surprised anymore. Uh, I don't know about you, but I just I feel the winds of change. I, I just feel like there's something that's stirring, and I feel like it's capturing hearts. I feel like it's drawing people in. I feel like we saw a significant um, awakening of that last week as we talked about Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. We celebrated the resurrection with five more baptisms. I want to tell you something. I got at least five more coming, so we're doing another baptism service in May. So if you want to be baptized, come and talk to me because there's an, un- there's an unlocking, there's a breakthrough that's coming. We're about to start baptizing people. I believe we're going to start seeing a harvest from some of those seeds that have been sown. It's funny, I was saying at the prayer meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago, I remember, see, I'm coming into like my seventh year of ministry. Not that any of this is built around me, it's built around Jesus. Uh, but it's just the number seven significant in the Bible, it's significant to me. Um, but I remember listening to a sermon and I went and I re-looked at it a while ago about um, a certain type of Chinese bamboo that, that when you plant the seed, it sits underground for seven years. And during that seven years, you see nothing. And sometimes you, you come out and you, you look, and the only hope that you have is that you sow to seed. Yeah? This isn't my sermon this morning, but I just feel it's important. Sometimes the only thing you have, but we live in a world that measures fruit, Right? We had a conversation of this where God kind of redefined us, refocused us because, you know, you're sort of going, I want to see the fruit. Where's the fruit? Is this successful? Because where's the fruit? But I want to tell you this morning, as a Christian, you're not called to measure fruit. You're called to measure seed. Try over here. You're called to measure seed, (laughs) right? And sometimes you can sit there and go, I'm not seeing any fruit. I'm not seeing any fruit. But when you look back at your life and you go, but God didn't ask me to see fruit. God asked me to sow seed. Remember, the Bible says one sows and other waters, but God brings the increase. You're not responsible for the increase. That's why Jesus came. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is going to tie into my sermon quite well. Uh, but, but, you know, sometimes in that place and in that moment, you can come out and you're tempted to go, nothing's happening, dig up the field, let's try again. And, and sometimes the best thing, and I've, I've said this before, sometimes the best thing you can do as a Christian to grow is just stay planted. You know how often as Christians we go, it's not working and we move or it's, this isn't happening and we go somewhere else. And I'm not saying there's not a time to move. There's not a time. But sometimes it's just remaining in the ground and you go, the ground is awful. You go, fine. <laughs> you know? But if we keep moving, then we keep uprooting. Every time you uproot a tree, every time you start that plant, you restart that process of fruit again and again and again and again. And sometimes we look and we go, why have I not bared fruit? It's because you haven't planted anywhere long enough to let that process grow. Because every time it's cold, every time it's winter, every time our leaves fall off, we go move it somewhere else. But I want to tell you, there's some fruit that only grows in the wintertime, right? There's some fruit that only grows in the wintertime. And here's the thing about this, this, this particular type of Chinese bamboo. Seven years, it sits under the ground looking like it's doing nothing, but it's not doing nothing. It's developing a root system all beneath the surface. Even when I don't see it, you're working. 
And then after seven years, this little thing happens and this bamboo, it sprouts a shoot. And then it grows six feet in like 30 days or something crazy. In fact, I think that's an understatement. You, apparently you can watch it grow. Like that's how quickly. And I just, there's a, there's a thing in my spirit where I feel like, I feel like the, the encouragement for me, I feel like the encouragement for you is that there are things that are sitting that are not dormant. They are growing. They are developing. And I feel like, like I say, every week I come and I'm surprised because I feel like we're just starting to see those shoots. And then I feel like once that, once that soil's broken, I feel like there's things, I just see things growing. I see people who, who one, week, one week they're going, I think I, I, I think I believe in Jesus now. And then the next week they're like this, and, you know, they're involved, they're praying, they're doing all these sorts of things. And you're like, that took me 10 years. Like, right? Anyone here, you go, like, my journey with Jesus was a slow burn, right? <laughs> Anyone got a slow burn relationship with Jesus where it's like, it started and, you know, there was, you, you keep going back to that scripture that says, though the, though the righteous man falls seven times, 70,000 times, he'll never be utterly cast. And then you see these other ones, not to say they're perfect, but it's like they, they receive Jesus and you go, Vroom! but I believe, I think it's important. I think there's a reason. And I think it's because God goes, we got, we got to move quickly. Not because God's in a rush, but I think there's something happening in this season that we need to be prepared for. And the reason I say that is because it ties so well into what I want to talk about this morning. Because it's easy to look at the world, isn't it? And it's easy to look at the news, and it's easy to look at Facebook, and it's easy to look at all these other things. And we and go, oh, woe is me. I feel awful, and I feel, you know. And so this morning, I don't... I don't want to preach as, as such. I want to lean more pastorally if I can. And like I'll speak, but I don't want it. To, it's not going to be one of those let's unpack a scripture and let's look at it all lovely and beautifully. That's not what this morning's about. Really, if I could call it something this morning, I, I want to draw your attention to the season and then the scripture that's going to get us through the season. Does that make sense? I wonder if you could bring this down just a little bit for me, Aaron. I'm just... Um, my, my voice is a little rough, and I started to feel like a traveling speaker. Last week, we did two services, two weddings. I did Anzac. I've done five in the last seven days, and so I'm starting to feel it in here. But uh, it's all right. It ain't given up yet, and I can still get happy, so don't worry about it. Um, but I want to draw your attention because, I, really, I just want to, if I can, run a thread through some of the things that I think God has been saying to us and doing with us over the last several years as a church and as a people. Uh, I was looking back through my prayer journal, and... Uh, that's a good thing to do sometimes because it reminds you of the seed and it reminds you of the journey and you go, oh, thank goodness I'm not there anymore because we can get so caught up with stuck where we are that you don't remember where God brought you from, yeah? And I was looking back through and I was reminded of a couple of words uh, and, and how they kind of linked in with what we're doing. And you'll know uh, if you've been here for any length of time, one of the themes that we've been going through over the last few years is looking at this idea, or last year, looking at this idea of prominence versus influence, Right? There's this idea that as Christians, we are not called. And I want to start there because I just want to bring you in in case you're not in on that, if you've not caught that yet. It was like God said to us as a church last year, you get to choose between prominence or influence. And so much of the Western church of, of the last 10 to 20 years, well-meaning, well-intentioned, has looked for that prominence, right? We want to be prominent. And we get scared anytime that prominence is taken away from us. And I watched it when the... Um, 
we had the, the, there was the shooting in mosque in Christchurch a number of years ago. And the church came together and were lovely until such time as they heard that the call to prayer for the Muslim country, for the Muslim people in our country was going to be broadcast on the airwaves. And suddenly Christians snapped and turned because they were like, you can't do that. Because my prominence is under threat. You know, you've just taken my, our prayer out of the parliament and now you're putting that in there. And, we, and suddenly we went from being caring and kind to give me back my prominence. All the prophetic words that you start to hear come out is like, God's going to give his prominence back. God's going to give his prominence back. They don't use the word prominence. because, But, but I'm convinced that, that what we are being led to at the moment and giving an opportunity from at the moment from God is to lean out of prominence and into influence. And I talked about that last year with David. Uh, not David, Daniel. I get my D's confused. Daniel, who served under Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, Daniel, who chose influence, despite the fact that we know just from biblical history, he would have been a prominent Person. He was a person of royal blood because those were the people that Nebuchadnezzar took. So despite the fact that he was entitled to prominence, he chose the path of influence and found favor with four different government leaders in two different opposing enemy empires because he took the humble road. He took the road of influence over prominence. God does not need things to be stacked in his favor in order for him to work miracles, right? In fact, in the, book of a, in the book of Kings, we read about Elijah, who's got this showdown with the prophets of Baal, and he disadvantages himself. He says, you take the fluffy bull. You, get to, you pick which one you want. You take the one that looks flammable. I'll, dig a, you dig, I'll put water on mine, because that's how big my God is. So I want to remind you in this time and in this season where it feels like the church can be a little bit under attack, it's okay. Because God doesn't need favor and prominence to work his glory. All he needs is people who go, my God is bigger than anything, and I'll allow it, and it'll work it, right? So that's the first thing. Secondly, there was a, a word that I had when I was looking back at, the, um, uh, at my prayer journal. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, because I'm not very good at dating things. But it was one of the prayer meetings, and it became part of our Vision Sunday. And it reminded me of, if, I don't know if you've ever been to one of the, the big Easter camps that Baptist Youth Ministries do around the country. But on the first night, they do this thing. Mike Dodge, usually at, at, in Christchurch, stands up, and he, you know, he's, he's become known as Camp Dad over many years. And he stands up there, and he does this thing on the Thursday night, the first night of Easter camp. And he says, look, here's the thing. We've got some rules here at camp. We've got, you know, we want to have a good time. We want to have a safe time. We want to ready, ready, rah. And, and he said, and so this is a drug and alcohol free camp. And he goes, but here's the deal. You have until midnight tonight. If you've bought drugs or alcohol to this camp, you can bring them to me or to one of our staff personally. We will get rid of them. We will hide them. We'll throw them in the bin. We'll flush them down the toilet, whatever. And you can have a good weekend. And it's fine. He goes, if we find them after midnight tonight, having given you that grace period, you will be sent home. We will call the police. And your weekend will suck. Right? <laughs> so we're doing everything we can. And I felt like in that moment, as I was reminded of that last year or the year before, whenever it was, I felt like what Jesus was saying to us is he was giving us a moment to deal with our stuff. Yeah. Right? And some of us, we all carry things and we go, I don't want that to be exposed. I don't want that to be brought to the light. I don't particularly want to see that that would be ugly. And I felt like God said, well, here's an opportunity to bring it to the cross and put it at the cross and leave it at the cross before midnight tonight and we'll leave it. And one of the things that I think we are, we are close to in the end of that is, is that opportunity's running out. I felt like what God said, see, God's not a God of judgment. God's not a God of, he doesn't ridicule people, but God is a God of restoration, Right? The Greek Orthodox understanding of the judge is not one who comes to render guilty or not guilty. He's one, the judge is the one that comes to make right. 
So Jesus makes things right. And so he goes, you can either make it right in grace or you can make it right in justice, but we're going to make it right. And I believe that the call over the last several years, and I've seen this, and I've had opportunities in my life, and I've seen where I chose to put things at the cross and go, Jesus, I've been carrying this, this issue, this, this whatever, this, this, this mentality, and I need to put it down before it causes me a problem. And Jesus is faithful. And, you, and then others, you go, no, I'm going to hang on to this one. I'm going I'm to protect it because I'm scared of it. I don't like it. I would, and, then, and then God goes, well, here it is. <laughs> and because he's gracious, he still deals with it. But you go, this would have been way more ugly, way less ugly if I'd, I'd lay it there, right? And so there's these two things, and it's all part of, because what I believe God is doing is calling us into this place of preparation, not just us, but the church for what he wants to do next. Remember last week we were talking about resurrection. In order for something to be resurrected, something has to die, Right? And so I've been thinking about that. And then finally, the last word that I want to share with you to kind of run a golden thread through everything I want to talk about this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I noticed, and I don't want to get political here. I don't, it's not about who's right or who's wrong or whatever. But there were two things happening uh, that God used to highlight to me to say, you need to be aware of this in your church. One was we had protests happening in our parliament. We had all that going on. We had a little occupation. And then on the other side of the world, we had, we had invasion going on as, as, as Russia was getting into Ukraine. And I felt like God said to me, there are two things that the kingdom of God, that the church needs to be aware of in this season. Number one is occupation. And number two is invasion. Right? And, and the reason I think that's, I want to, again, I'm just trying to draw a thread. Because you go, what have you been talking about for the last two years? And then suddenly it all makes sense. It's just started making sense for me, and so I want to help it make sense for you, right? <laughs> uh, last year, we did a series on, on spiritual warfare, spiritual, the things of the Spirit, and we talked about authority, we talked about territory, we talked about all those things, and we talked about uh, strongholds, spiritual strongholds, and how they start with footholds, right? And here's simple tactics of the enemy. If he can get into a church, he will always start where a foothold exists in a congregation, if he can find a root of bitterness, if he can find a root of, 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 of sin or whatever it is that we're leaving that opening, I can use that to try and sow division in a church. And I think that over the last couple of years, we've become so good at ripping that out, going, we don't want to, we don't want, not that we're perfect, right? Let's not try to get arrogant or boastful or prominent here. But I think we've, we've done a really good job as an authentic community of trying to get rid of some of those footholds. We've examined ourselves and gone, that issue's ugly and it needs to go. That, that mentality that I have, that feeling that I have in my heart that I might not speak out, but I think it, or that thing that I say about that person who's part of the church that Jesus died for, that's got to go. And so what happens, as we start to get rid of those footholds, we get rid of all opportunity for enemy occupation. And so if the enemy can't work within your church, what does he have to do? He has to invade from outside. And so we reached this space right before our AGM where, honestly, it was comical. Because God had given me this word, and then within the next week, we had about four situations that were completely outside of our church culture, completely outside of our church community, that just like, like I had to get lawyers involved with one of them. It was just ugly, right? And so it was just this reassurance, because I feel like what God is doing is moving the church from a time of prominence into influence. He's moving us from a place where we've had this amnesty to go, let's get rid of the footholds. Let's put these things down so that we might be the purest vessel we can. Not that we can be perfect, but we're all called to progress, right? 
And then out of that, I believe that God is saying that we need to be aware of the things in our lives, not just the things in our church, but the things at home, the things in our community, the things in our worlds that try to occupy or invade. Because, see, relatively, we're in this good place at the moment. As a church, we feel pretty good. We go, hey, things are good. People are getting baptized. It feels... Those are the times where the enemy loves to come in and go, hey, see how you've got your guard down? You ever notice that you get hit while your guard's down? Usually at your high point, not your low point. Because at your low point, you don't trust anybody, including the devil. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't get within 10 foot of me. No one gets within 10 feet of me. But when everything's good, you're like, it's fine. It's all good. Sweet as. Oh, how did that happen? Because we get complacent. We get comfortable. We go, everything's good. And so I feel like the, the reminder at this time is to pursue influence over prominence, to continue before time runs out to lay our things at the cross so that they can be dealt with by him in a gracious way. And to be aware of this occupation and invasion thing. Particularly, I, I'm mindful at the moment of our church. I think occupation's good. I think we're a good family. We're a tight unit. We, we pray for each other. We love each other. We make jokes at each other's expense, which in Kiwi culture is a sign of love, not a sign of hatred. Um, <laughs> I was really hoping Manchester City was going to lose last night, but no luck. Um, it's all right. One, one game. One game. Um, I lost the complete gravy train there, didn't I? We just... just just lay it at the cross before Jesus deals with it. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. Um, so, so as we look at that, you know, dealing with all those things. But then there was one other word, because I don't know about you, despite the fact that everything's, everything feels kind of positive here, you know, and, and we look and we, we look at other churches and we mourn with our brothers and sisters in crisis. We see struggle and whether we agree, disagree, whatever, you just go, oh, everything I see in the church and the media at the moment just sucks. Like, you know, you're coming into Easter weekend, and you go, really? That's how we're going to go? That's what we're going to do? And, and, and you just get this weight. Even in the excitement, you know, I tell you, I believe that, that everything that's happening now, despite the fact that it's ugly, I believe God works all, even the ugly for good. And I believe that what's going to come out of that is going to benefit the church. But it doesn't make it any less painful for the people watching or the people going through it. And so as we look at that, and I was just, you know, I was sitting in the prayer room this week going through my prayer journal. It's been way too long since I've been in there. And, and I was sitting there, and it was, I was looking through this prayer journal. And at the back, there were a bunch of letters that were written to me uh, when this journal was presented to me. It was given to me as a leaving gift um, when we left in the Cargill Christian Center. And in the back... There was, there was a number of letters of encouragement, but one that was written by someone in particular was this reminder, and these were the words. It was, where, where, am I? where are we? Because I don't think they're just relevant for me. It says this, the God that called you is the God who equips you, and the God who equips you is the one who sustains you. And I looked at it, and I just I saw this journey and this warning and this encouragement for the church of Jesus Christ at this time, because I feel we've gone through a system where we've, we've all been called. We know that. We've felt our calling. Let's, I mean, if we just talk about connect for a moment, we've felt our calling. And the last seven years have been kind of this equipping, this preparing. Now I believe it's the time to lean into the God who sustains you. And we need to know the God who sustains us. So if this non-sermon had a sermony title this morning, for the sake of those who want to put it on a podcast later, it will be called The God Who Sustains You. And I just want to, I just want to look at this. I want to see this because 
what does sustain mean? How does, what does it look like? You know, there's a lot of talk in, in our culture today about sustainability. Right? You, everyone's got the, on the sustainability buzz. And yet burnout's at an all-time high. Job satisfaction's at an all-time low. You know, all these different things. And, and, and you start to look and go, actually... Maybe the thing we're not talking about sustainability, we're talking about the environment, we're talking about you know, cars and, and, and resources. And I'm, again, I'm not getting political this morning, I mean. But what about the sustainability of the soul? What about the sustainability of the soul? What about the sustainability of the church, especially in this season? How do we look to navigate that? How do we look to prepare for that? How, what scriptures exist to remind us and to equip us in order that we might be sustained in this season of church. And I just want to throw a couple at you real quickly, just in no particular order. Uh, Let's start with this one. Psalm chapter 55, verse 22 says this. It says, cast all your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Next one is Psalm chapter 73, verse 26, which says, uh, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Other translations say, God is the sustainer of my heart and my portion forever. All right. Uh, Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you or sustain you with my righteous right hand. Let's look at a couple more. Chapter, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts. I almost said starry. Starry host. The earth and all that is on it. The heavens, the highest heaven, the earth, the stars, the seas, and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Other translations, again, they say you preserve all all of them, or you sustain all of them. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he has provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand in the majesty of heaven. Let's stop there for now. I'm not a big breakfast eater. I really suck at eating breakfast. I just, I'm just terrible at it. I don't get out of bed early enough. And, and you know, like, I, I really struggle, you know, like, one of the things that always sets me apart as, as a boy from the men is, like, the men love to get together and do these men's breakfasts and do, like, fatty food. I'm like, I can't eat grease before 11.45 in the morning. Like, after 11.45, I'm good. I'll eat all the grease. I'll clean up the grease in the bottom of the pan and just ingest it a hole. But before 11, I'm like, oh, I just, no. And they always want to do it real early, like not even 9 o'clock. Like, let's have breakfast, but let's get up at 7. You're like, why? Why? (laughs) Nothing holy happens at 7 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) um, (laughs) Maybe for you it does, but it's, yeah. 
I remember, I think it was my mom always used to say to me, it's better to get up early with God than stay up late with the devil. I'm like, no, you don't understand. If, if I get up early before eight o'clock, I am the devil, right? <laughs> you don't want to be with me. I'm grumpy. And I'm, kids who have been to Easter camp with me know this. I come out of the tent and I'm like, no. <laughs> the people who came to, we did Caleb leadership last year, we were all staying in the same house and we had to like queue up for the shower. And they're like, what is that? That's, that's the guy that leads our church? Why does he look like the walking dead? Um, <laughs> But it becomes the self-defeating... Anyway, I'm getting off track here. The, the, the point is, I don't eat breakfast, but people tell you that breakfast is one of the most important meals of the day because it sets you up and, and it, you know, whatever. But equally, they say what you eat for breakfast is important because it is possible to ingest food at the time that you're supposed to ingest food that ultimately has no sustenance. The root word of sustenance is sustain. And, and so... One of the things that I think we can be very guilty of doing, as in the natural, and I'm not here to tell you to eat your breakfast this morning, but if that's the word you take out of it, then amen. But what I kind of feel like is important for us as the church is sometimes we can do all the religious things. We come to the prayer meeting, we read the books, we go to church, but, and we do all that, but ultimately we're consuming a food that has no sustenance, right? And we go, I'm, I'm doing the Christian stuff, but you can do breakfast and not be doing breakfast right. And I don't say that to be legalistic. I don't say that to be difficult. I say that to go, we're all very, because I mean, even worse, maybe it's got nothing to do with Christianity at all. Maybe the thing that we're ingesting that's supposed to sustain our soul, see what we've just read in all of those scriptures, God's the creator, God's the sustainer of the heavens, the earth, the universe, my, my life, your life, the church, the kingdom of God. He is the sustainer. In other words, it's like God is saying, I'm the wheat bix on your table. Stop eating the Fruit Loops. Preaching to me. Oh, I'm so convicted here this morning. It's just, Jesus, your servant is listening. It's, I was never allowed Fruit Loops as a child, so I eat them all the time as an adult. It's, it's just slopped without I can't even drink water properly. But I feel, I feel like the caution to us in this time and in this season, especially in a generation that's super busy and especially in a generation that's distracted, is what's sustaining you? And how substantial is it, really? And already I can see Angela, and she's, she's got a whole bunch of things. as the health coach or the food coach in the building. She's going to grill me this week. But I'm, I'm now going to switch gears because I'm not talking about your body food. I'm talking about your spiritual food. In fact, let's pick up Matthew chapter 4 real quickly. Jesus has just had this time of fasting in the wilderness. He's been, he's, you know, he goes out, he's been baptized, he's in the wilderness. And out of that, uh, in his moment there, in his weakness, the devil tries to tempt him, tries to trick him. And he says to him, you know, you haven't eaten. If you're hungry, then why don't you command these stones to turn into bread? And Jesus makes this statement. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, food alone won't sustain your spirit. See, this is one of the reasons that fasting is actually such a powerful practice because when we fast, we remind ourselves and we remind the enemy that this doesn't sustain me. God sustains me, right? Like I might, I might eat this because, you know, but right now, before, before the fall, Adam ate for enjoyment not for survival, because God sustained him. And so, so Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's take a look, because I'm loving doing this at the moment. Let's take a look at the scripture that's pulled out of, because he says it is written. So that means it was written somewhere. 
Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 to 9. It's a heavy verse, I warn you. It says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then he fed you. I love that. God doesn't just leave you hungry. He feeds you. Jesus said, blessed are those who are hungry, for they will be filled. Right? Uh, So, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. That was the verse I was looking for. Uh, Causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna or mana, which neither you or your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's pause there for a minute. In case you don't know the history, when the Israelites were set free from Egypt, there was this massive exodus. They'd been in slavery. They'd been in exile. But finally, they were allowed to come out, and they went into the desert. And during that time, they were there for a very, very long time, mostly because of their disobedience and their problem. They were experiencing the slow burn discipleship track, right? And so, so they're in that space. But every morning they would wake up and they would go outside and God had provided manna from heaven, which was like, which was like a bread. It was like a flake. I don't know how to describe it. I haven't had it. Um, but every morning it was there and it was enough to feed them. And there was a lot of people to feed, right? And they would eat it and they, it sustained them. But it did not come from their hands. It came from God. So this literal bread, which is actually symbolic of Jesus called himself the bread of life, Right? And he sustained them. Here's the thing, though. What they tried to do, because we so often panic, we like to prepare for the future. Some of them would try to gather some of this mana up, mana up, whatever you want to call it. And they would put it in, in books or they would put it in whatever. They'd try to keep it safe. The next morning, they would open the book and it would be moldy. It'd be gross. What was fresh yesterday was moldy today. Let me tell you something. What sustained you yesterday won't sustain you today. See, how often do we look and we're sustaining ourselves on the past and we go, I remember when. Testimony is a powerful thing, but testimony is powerful to unlock future and present faith, right? So the manna in the desert was to remind them that God is faithful now, but but yesterday's provision won't sustain you today. And so often some of us are living in that. We're living in yesterday's thing. So again, my challenge to you this morning is what sustains you? What sustains you? Because the Bible's pretty clear that the only thing that truly sustains us is Jesus, is the Word of God, the person of God. Let's have a look at a couple of others. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Uh, grow faint. Let's go Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the sphere. They, I've given you the wrong one. You know, when you're reading something, you're like, that is not the verse. <laughs> I hit it with such confidence too, didn't I? I'm like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, we've already quoted it this morning. Don't worry about that one. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God is the sustainer of everything. All things, life itself. 
I, I remember one definition of life and death. You know, we, we talk about, um, you know, when something dies, we use the word expire, right? Expire means to breathe out. Spire means breath. X means out. That's why when we talk about something being inspired, we mean God breathed into it. So in the beginning, God breathed into man. God inspired. And some people, you know, there were people that believed that actually you die when God stops breathing into you. When you breathe out and he doesn't breathe his next breath in, that's like, why? Because God sustains me. God sustains you. God sustains all of creation. And so we can get caught up trying to do it all ourselves and sustain it. But the reality is the call is to go back to the sustainer. And in this season, and in fact, in every season, so many people are called. So many people are equipped. But what we see is people who don't have the sustenance to finish the race. Right? How many times have you seen that? You've watched the Olympics and someone, they've got all the training, they're explosive. They, you know, you go, man, that person could outrun me. You see, they've been in the gym, they've been doing leg day, which as you can tell, I have not. <laughs> but they get up there and, then, and as they're running that marathon, somewhere they cramp or someone, they, because they didn't stop for the water break. Everybody else stopped for the water break and they went, no, I'm good. And then the next minute, with no sustenance, they burn out. Church, the message I believe from God for today, the reminder, the encouragement for today is, is that if you do not return to the sustainer, you will burn out. The church will burn out. Christians will burn out. Because so often we start with good intentions, but before you know it, we start trying to sustain ourselves with other things. We start, we, you know, we have the subscription service that, you know, we have dip, dis, uh, Netflix and Disney Plus, and di- I only just recently learned what the plus stands for in Disney. It's all the other things that aren't Disney that are on Disney. I know, right? I was like, it seems like a, it's like a revelation now. It's like Disney, Disney Plus Marvel, Disney Plus this, Disney Plus. But so often we have a mentality where we subscribe to Jesus Plus, right? 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 And we go, Jesus, you know, I've got Jesus and such and such. I got Jesus and something else. And how many horror stories have we seen in the church of people who, who were sold out for Jesus and it was the plus... <laughs> that created a problem, right? Jesus and only Jesus can sustain you and sustain your soul and sustain your spirit. And I just believe so strongly that God is calling us to get rid of the plus from our lives, to get rid of that other thing. And so my question to you, my challenge to you, I'm not going to ask you to expose it this morning. I'm not going to ask you to bring it to the light. I'm going to ask you to take it to the cross in your own time. What, are, what is sustaining you that you need to remove. What is sustaining you? Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not telling you to stop taking medication. That is a big step that you should work through with someone, a professional. You know what I'm saying? But, but I'm talking about what are the things that are unhealthy, that are, that are actually destroying you deep down, that aren't sustaining you. And you go, actually, I need to look at that. You know, I was talking to someone the other day. Um, in fact, Ross Banbury, many of you will know I'm with Oasis. And one of the things he said to me is that I'm yet to meet the family that alcohol put back together. And that hit me. Right? And you go, okay, what does that look like? Because these things that start can very quickly become sustenance, false sustenance, crutches that we lean on later. So what's sustaining you? And is it really sustaining you? Or is it creating a foothold for invasion and occupation later? Right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) 
once you've hit one wrong, you get nervous about all of them. You go, oh, no. For in him all things were created. All things. Say all. All. All, all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right? If you're falling apart, I know the glue. Because in him, all things hold together. Some days as a Christian, you may still go, it feels like barely, right? I'm barely holding together. But all things hold together. What the enemy meant for harm. See, uh, I'm not going to go there um, now. But God is always a provider. He's always a provider. Um, I am going to go there. First Kings chapter 19, I hope, again. Uh, Elijah has had his showdown with his prophets of Baal. He's had this wonderful time, this provision, a demonstration of the power of God and influence and not prominence. And so then he's in this space and he gets intimidated and he sleeps. And again, God doesn't leave you without sustenance. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. I'll tell you something, the journey that the church has to go through in this next season, the journey that the church is called to with our community is too much for you to go through on your own. It's too much for Connect to go through on its own with flashy marketing or good lights or whatever. I want to tell you something, if you can't worship with the lights, it wasn't Jesus you were worshiping. <laughs> you know, it's like, if I need the lights or I need this worship leader or I need this song, you know, it wasn't Jesus you were worshiping. It's too much for you on your own because he holds all things together. He is the sustainer. And I want to draw a really interesting parallel at the moment. I'm, I'm kind of reading an excerpt. I'm, re-reading a, I'm reading a book at the moment by G.K. Chesterton, uh, old school theologian called The Everlasting Man. Uh, and I want to read a bit from it. But the, the important part of this is I want to draw a comparison between the church and the kingdom of God remembering that the church is the bride of Christ and it's loved by Jesus. He laid his life down for it. He loves it and he longs to redeem it. He longs to restore it, to present it to himself pure and blemishless, right, on the the day of his coming. And part of that is there are times where we look and we go, what is happening to church? But what we can also fall into is when we, we... we correlate the success or the difficulties of the struggle of church with the success or the struggles or the difficulties of the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God, and we again, I've talked about it already, says the kingdom of God, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The kingdom of God is growing daily, all of the time. And so if you feel like you're in that place of defeat and you look around and you go, what is happening? Take your eyes off the church and fix it on the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And G.K. Chesterton writes this, beautiful. Here's here's one quote, and then I want to read a a part from further down. This is what he says. He says, Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it serves a God who knows the way out of the grave. And I want to encourage you, part of what I feel like we're seeing at the moment, you know, and and, and as, as the world is doing everything it can to hurry it along, right? It feels like we're seeing the death of the church in ways. 
Anyone relate to that? You watch it and you feel, you just go, I feel like we're just seeing the death of the church. But I want to remind you, we are not seeing the death of the kingdom because the kingdom is alive and active. And even when I don't see it, you're working. And watch this. Uh, This last bit, this is again, G.K. Chesterton, The Everlasting Man. This is the final fact. You want to read the others? You have to go get the book. And it says, and it is the most extraordinary of all. The faith has not only often died, but it has often died of old age. It has not only been killed, but it has often died a natural death in the sense of coming to a natural and necessary end. It is obvious that it has survived the most savage and the most universal persecutions from the shock and fury to the shock of the French Revolution. But it has a strange and even more weird tenacity. It has survived not only war, but peace. It has not only died, but often degenerated, often, and decayed, often. It has survived its own weakness and even its own surrender. Gosh, I love it when a plan comes together. I had no idea we were singing that song this morning. Even its own surrender. We need not repeat what is so obvious about the beauty of the end of Christ and its wedding of youth and death. But this is almost as as if Christ had lived to the last possible span, had become a white-haired sage of a hundred and died of natural decay, and then had risen again, rejuvenated with trumpets and the rending of the sky. It was truly enough that human Christianity in its recurrent weakness was sometimes too much wedded to the powers of the world. But if it is wedded, it has often been widowed, and it has been often a resurrected widow. Those words written a long time ago seem so apt for us today. That church, and at times we just go, it just feels painful. It feels like a losing battle. It feels like getting up in the morning, I'm just going to read yet another article, or I'm going to see yet another atheist, or talk to yet another work friend who wants to have yet another go at me about this or whatever. I want to remind you, God does not need a platform to glorify himself. He just needs his people to say, you don't sustain me. God sustains me. Bill Johnson said it this way. Well, yeah, Bill Johnson said it this way. If you don't live for the praises of men, you won't die by their criticisms. If you don't live for the praises of men, then you won't die by their criticisms. Because here's the thing. What sustains you is ultimately the only thing that can break you. And if God sustains you, then only God can break you. And he won't but it makes you unshakable in those other spaces. Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it serves a God who knows the way out of the grave. And so the challenge for each of us this morning is not what are you going through, not what's happening around you, but what sustains you. See, because the God who calls you and has called you is the God who's equipped you. And the God who equipped you is the one who will sustain you, body, mind, and spirit, the soul. And our theme this year, I'm going to finish with this. I wonder if the music team could come back. Our, our theme for this year is Jesus is Christianity Reconstructed. Looking at what are the things that we need to put back into our faith. We do lots of deconstructing, eh? We do lots of taking out and going, that needs to go, that needs to go, that needs to go. But somewhere we need to put some things back in. And the most important thing that you can put back into your faith, shock horror, it's the Sunday school answer, it's Jesus. But let me tell you what that looks like, I believe, for the next season of the church. 
as we reconstruct the rhythms and the priorities, as we look at what sustains us, as we start to get rid of those things that we have been using that offer a false sense of sustenance. Caffeine doesn't wake you up. It just blocks the receptors that tell you that you're tired. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. What are the things that you're doing to convince yourself right now that you're doing okay? But in reality, all they're doing is blocking an authenticity that says, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I believe in this next season of the church, sustenance looks like a couple of things. Number one, it looks like humility. We have to be humble. It's so tempting to fight and to dig deep and to try and vindicate ourselves. But the Bible says that vengeance is God's and our call is to humility. Cam Richardson said here many years ago when he was preaching, since the beginning of time, God has been looking for humble hearts to accomplish His purposes upon the earth. As we look and we return to the sustainer, may we also be sustained in our humility. I believe the next season of church needs to look like generosity. In a world that is tightening its belt, tightening its wallet, tightening its pockets more and more and more as we become uncertain about inflation, the church needs to be known for its giving, not its taking. The church needs to be known for the generosity of Christ. The Hebrew word for generosity is sedaka. The Hebrew word for righteousness is sedak. That R sound, that R letter means to reveal. Generosity is the revealing of God's righteousness. May we be humble, but may we also be generous. I believe that the next season of sustainability is going to require community. Church is going to need to draw together. We're going to need to love each other, trust one another, pray for each other, lay hands on each other encourage one another, hold each other's hands up when we go, I don't have the strength to do it today. God, may we be humble, may we be generous, and may we be a community. And one that we we go on about here at church all the time, authenticity. Authenticity. The days of inauthentic Christianity are over. No longer can we turn up and put a face on and pretend that we're all good and, and show our best Instagram reel or our Facebook reel and go, everything's great. The time, people are craving something that's authentic. And when people come into a church and all they see is fake, they go, I can't come here and be real. And if you're gonna come to the cross, you need to be able to be real. So God, this morning, may we be humble. May we be generous and may we be a community that is known for authenticity. This next season is gonna require us to, as we are sustained, so we must also sustain grace. See, we live in a world now that loves cancel culture, don't we? No second chances. In fact, you're barely lucky to get a first chance these days. And in there, God gets the last word because God is the God of redemption. Right now, Christianity is the one place in the world that says there's a way back from that. And His name is Jesus. The world won't take you back. They don't know. They don't know. But Jesus provides a way and we must let grace abound in this season. If we become simply part of the culture that condemns and and criticizes and puts down, then we will miss the beauty of the gospel of grace. Lord, may we be a church that is humble and generous, that is knitted together as a community, known for authenticity, 
and grace that extends to each other and to our community. And finally, you want to sustain yourself through through what's to come. You want to sustain yourself through the days that are ahead for not only you, the church, the world, the whatever. You got to pray. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to rediscover the sustaining power of prayer. So often we put prayer off as a, as a last thing, right? We have this mentality with everything. We go to the mechanic when our car is broken. We go to the counselor when our marriage is broken. We go to prayer when our life is broken. But if we prayed, our lives would break a whole lot less. If we maintained the car, if we maintained the marriage, if we maintained the relationship with Jesus, and in this next season, if you want to be sustained, we must be people of prayer. Would you stand with me as I pray those last things? Just one more time, I want to pray them over you.